Hello, Julie Solomon here, and welcome back to another episode of the Influencer Podcast. You know that I love to bring you people that have made an impact on my own life and business onto this podcast, and today's guest has done just that. Not only did I feel that force deep in my bones when I first took a spin class led by her years ago in Los Angeles, but I felt it in my soul. If you are a Peloton lover, then you know what I'm talking about and really who I'm talking about. And if not, well, let me introduce you to her. Motivational speaker, Peloton instructor, founder of Speak, and newly minted author, Tunde Oyunane. Now, Tunde has quickly become a household name over the last couple of years, developing a global audience who have been moved by her mission to inspire and believe that anything is possible. Earlier this year, Tunde released her debut memoir manifesto guide to life called Speak, Find Your Voice, Trust Your Gut, and Get From Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. Now, this is an empowering look into how she transformed grief, setbacks, loss, and so much more into self-confidence and triumph. Now, Tunde has rose to fame on Peloton's platform as her dedicated fan base would clip into their bikes and listen to her incredible words of encouragement known as Tundeisms while pushing themselves to their limits. And you're going to hear why people keep coming back to her day after day, week after week to transform. I'm so excited to bring her to you today, the incredible Tunde. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Solomon. If you found yourself here, it means you are ready to unleash the powerful visionary that lives inside you, turning you into an authentic leader who creates influence, impact, and change. Let's get started. Tune day. Hey, girl. Hey. I'm so excited to have you here and I'm so excited for your book, Speak, which we're going to be talking about today. Speak, find your voice, trust your gut, and get from where you are to where you want to be. Boom. Who doesn't want that? I am, I'm so excited to share you and your message and your gifts in this book with my amazing community today. Um, and just to kind of reconnect, because we connected, it feels like a lifetime ago. It really wasn't that long ago, but it feels like a lifetime ago. It feels like an entire other person's lifetime ago. Yes, Yes. that's how long it feels like. Yes. 2018, 2019, we were in this amazing little place called The Sweatshop in Toluca Lake, California, which we're going to be talking about today because it's it's all in your book and really about your journey of how you got to where you are today, which is impacting millions of lives through your voice, your message, and your instruction with Peloton. And just to be able to see you light up the world, which is really what you were meant to do on this planet, has just been so inspiring and necessary and needed and impactful. So without further ado, Tunde, if you could share for anyone who may not love to be on a bike, may not know who you are, which I don't see how they couldn't, because who doesn't love Peloton? Share with us a little bit about maybe how the world knows you as, but really kind of who you are and how you show up in the world. Oh gosh, that's a broad question. Well, you know, it all started in third grade. No, uh, so I, my name is Tune Oyunane, uh, Peloton instructor, Nike athlete, one of the faces of Revlon and newly minted author of the book Speak that we just spoke to. 
Um, life has been wild. My life has been wild. Um, highs, lows, joy, triumph, all of it. Um, I wrote this book because I feel like the last two years have been filled with so much uncertainty, so much uncertainty and so much doubt. And Jules, it was uncertainty and doubt that that led me here to this moment and to this space. And so um, I think that we're all a lot more alike than we are different. I think that we're all a lot more alike than we are different. And so my hope is that someone picks up my book and they see little bits and pieces of themselves through my story, uh, the loss, the trauma, the missed opportunities, the resilience, the fight, all of it. Yeah, I say that my story is wild because I grew up a uh, first-generation American. My parents emigrated here from Nigeria um, with the, the, the goal and the mindset of any immigrant um, to create a better life for, for their children and the lives and they were afforded from for themselves. Um, I think my both of my parents are no longer here. However, I think that they'd be so proud of me in this moment. Um, so happy for me in this moment. I was an overweight kid with low self-esteem, lacked confidence. And here I am now, um, a leader in this space, in the fitness world, the wellness world, um, able to impact the lives of hundreds of thousands and millions of people every single day by virtue of doing what I love to do. What a gift what a gift. So yeah, feels good. Well, and you know, you just kind of mentioned a few things that I want to touch on. I was just talking to our mutual friend, Naomi Priestley. Yes. Who I get to live so close to now. And that's such a gift. And we were talking about you and just the expansiveness and your determination and your grit. And, you know, of course I was reading your book as I was preparing for our conversation today. And, and Naomi and I were talking about how, you know, people seeing you on that virtual stage, you know, you know, on Peloton every day or seeing you across pages of magazines and seeing you on ads and social media, just being the leader that you are and and really having the brand that you, you have, it would probably be so easy for someone to say like, oh, you know, she probably never struggled. <laughs> She's probably always just been naturally fit. You know, she just probably was able to just push through and do it and make it happen. And that really could not be farther from the case. I love how vulnerable you get in this book about, you know, you, you kick it off with our bodies and the image of our bodies. And especially for women, we all have these ideas and these thoughts about our bodies. And you talk about, you know, going and picking out this bridesmaid's dress and the, the original one that you were going to wear wasn't going to fit you. And you were just like, no, I'm going to fit in that one. Because if I don't, then everyone's going to know that I was the one that couldn't fit in that one. And I think that's such a relatable thing for women. I mean, it's, I think about like all the jeans that I've tried to fit in, you know, mm -hmm. just to be, just to be able to say that I'm a size X. And I would love for you to share how, how those moments of not feeling like you belonged. I mean, you talked about how you were on like the playground and you shared your weight with your, your peers when you were, I think it was in third grade and they were astonished that you weighed the amount that you weighed and you made a, you made a choice in that moment. I will always lie about my weight. And I would just love for you to kind of touch on these, these things that happen and whether we're conscious to them or not, it's like you wanting to fit into that certain dress, you feeling the need to have to lie about your weight in order to fit into whatever false narrative of image that, that was, um, mm -hmm. how did that really kind of shape 
your idea around wellness and health and fitness and your body and really learning to love your body and to be in embodiment of who you are? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll start with the, the kids on the playground story. So yeah, I was, I was very young. And I remember the kids were going around sharing how much they weighed and, you know, as kids, you don't know, you're not supposed to ask people certain questions. And so every, I think I was third to answer. And I, I said what my weight was and I was in the hundreds. And I remember all the kids gasped and said two days in the hundreds. And I remember in that moment, I remember their reactions not being positive. I couldn't, perhaps I couldn't articulate then at that age, but I knew that their reactions were not positive. And so in that moment, I made a very conscious decision that in order to not receive that reaction ever again, I would need to lie about my weight. And so fast forward, you know, maybe 10 years, 10 or 15 years, I'm supposed to be a bridesmaid in my aunt's wedding. I go to the shop, the maker of the dress, they don't make the dress in my size rather. Um, and I had this real moment in the dressing room where I'm crying to my mom and she asked me, why am I crying? And I said, if I, if I wear a different dress, even though the other option was more beautiful, if I'm not in the same dress as all the other girls, everyone will know that I was the one who couldn't fit into the other dress. And so my mother said to me in that moment, she said, yeah, Tunde, if you want to change things, you have to begin to make changes. You have to change things up. And so that was her way of giving me license to own my power um, in the situation. And so some time passes. I lose weight. I live in Houston at the time. I lose a significant amount of weight. I think maybe 50 pounds. I moved from Houston to LA. LA was a whole nother type of skinny is what I say. And so I ended up losing another 20 pounds when I got to LA. And I, when I first started losing weight, let's call it like the first 20 or 30 pounds, I noticed that the world was reacting different to me or differently. The teachers were commenting on my weight loss. My friends' parents were commenting on my weight loss. My peers at school, the popular girls were commenting on my weight, asking me how I'd lost the weight. And so I finally started to feel like I was fitting in. I finally started to feel accepted by society. Sometimes, some time passes, I lose more weight. I think I lost total 70 pounds by that time. And I started to realize that people weren't gravitating towards me because I lost the weight. People were gravitating towards me because I finally started to show them who I was. When I was heavier set, I didn't laugh too loud because I felt like if I laughed, people would see me. And if they saw me, they'd see my size. I loved to dance. If anybody's ever taking a cycle, taking a cycling class with me, you know, I love to dance. I loved to dance then, but I didn't dance because I felt like if I danced, people would see me. And again, if they saw me, they then recognize my size and see how big I was. And so I did everything to minimize myself. I did everything to hide myself. As I started to lose the weight, I started to unveil these pieces of myself, versions of myself that before I was unwilling to show. It took a lot of time for me to recognize that again, people gravitating towards me had nothing to do with the fact that I'd lost weight, but that I finally stopped 
hiding myself. You know, one of my good friends always says, don't shrink yourself to fit into small spaces. For so long, I was minimizing my presence in order to not be seen. Once I showed people who I finally was, that's what they leaned into. Um, and so that was very much a, a learning lesson to me. I say to anybody in the beginning of their wellness journey, and I call it a wellness journey, not, not a weight loss journey, because for me, it was the weight is why I showed up. I showed up to lose weight. That's not what kept me here in this journey. It's a forever change. It's a forever journey. People always ask how, how I lost the weight. And I never answer that question because it's not about how. To me, it's about why. It's about why because your why is what you will continue to show up for. I started this journey to lose weight. What's kept me here is what I've gained from the experience, not what I've lost, but what I've gained. I've gained a sense of confidence, a sense of purpose, a sense of power, a sense of my strength, everlasting friendships. Um, and so I continue to come back to it for that. Mm. Well, and I think it's like, if you've ever taken one of your classes, you know exactly how you lost the weight, determination, <laughs> focus, not yep. giving up. I mean, yep. and working your butt off and sweating. Um, and I, I think you you unpack so much there with with this idea of resilience and really like how bad do you want it? How bad do you want to feel better? How bad do you want to be lit up? How bad do you want to shine? A lot of times I think that it's human nature to say we want it, but then are our actions really aligning with what we're saying that we're wanting? Um, and when it comes to that idea of resilience for you, when has resilience been a really incredible gift in your life? And when has it maybe even been a little bit of a, of a defect and a challenge for you. Um, cause you know, some people love resilience and they can like, they'll, they'll get on the ride. And then some people are very repelled, repelled by that idea. So I would love to know your thoughts about that. I think that resilience is innate. I think resilience is innate. I think that we all have access to it. It lives in us. It's a matter of tapping into it. It's a matter of tapping into it. Uh, my little brother passed away at a very young age unexpectedly. He was 19 years old when he passed. Um, my dad passed away three years after my brother, also very unexpectedly. And then three years after losing my dad, I lost my mom, also very unexpectedly. And so I lost half of my immediate family members within six years um, of one another. And each time with each loss, I hit rock bottom. So I hit rock bottom over and over and over again, my lowest low. Um, when I thought that I couldn't sink to a lower place, I found a lower place to settle. And I think that the world would have given me an out. The world being like all the people around me, my friends, my family, my work, everyone would have said her joy is gone, but she's been through so much. She's not the same, but she's been through so much. How could we expect her? to pick up the pieces and be the same. And so I stayed in that space for some time. And then one day I woke and it was this, a thought that came to me, the thought being that every single day is a new day. We don't get to choose what happens to us, but we do get to choose how we react. And so my thought was if every single day is a new day, I want to choose to show up new in each day. 
I want to choose to use each day to its fullest because they cannot. And so I would do anything on this planet. I would do anything. I would give up anything to have just one more moment with either one of them. And still, I recognize that in losing them, I stepped into the greatest version of myself. I am who I am in my mind, in my body, in my spirit, in all that I do because of what I've learned in my lowest moment, because the resilience that I found as a result of those lowest moments. And so again, I say resilience is innate. I think it's that we all have it. It's in us. It's a matter of choosing, making the choice to tap into it. So good. My friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale. This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business for sponsoring the show. And you you had a lot of that as you were going through your journey. Well, just even your pro- professional journey. I mean, you moved to LA, you were a makeup artist, you were working kind of more in corporate America. Mm-hmm. You had and you, you shared the story of kind of you were lit by this by this essence, this blue essence to to feel connected to this bike and and you know, I at first I would love to know what what does it mean for you at a soul level to to move the way that you do on a bike. And I, that may sound kind of crazy or people like Julie, really like you think cycling is spiritual. I absolutely think that it is. So I want to know from your perspective, how has that changed your idea of grief and joy and resilience and heartache and focus? Just, just that consistency of getting on the bike and allowing yourself to be connected to your soul in such a deep way. Yeah, I think moving meditation is a real thing. Like uh, Robin Arzon, my friend, head instructor and VP of fitness at Peloton, she always said, she always uh, says that movement is medicine. Movement is medicine. I think that movement is one of the many ways that the body shows appreciation for life. I think that movement is in many ways, one of the ways that we connect to being here. So for some people that moving meditation, that meditative state may come in a run. For some people might be walking out in nature, such as a hike, shout out to LA, running Canyon, Ryman Canyon. 
Um, and for, for many people, myself included, um, that medicine is found on a bike. You know, there's something that happens when your cortisol levels are spiked, when your sweat is literally pouring from your body. You're able to receive information differently. I have a lot of friends that are musicians and they'll say, you know, I've heard that song a million times and I hate that song, but then I hear that song on the bike and it hits different because you receive it differently. And so many times in, in a cycling class or a class in general, uh, let's say that the instructor says something that meets you exactly where you are. You can hear something that they say, or you can hear the lyrics to a song. And one day, it's the perfect moment. It meets you exactly where you are. And so, so yeah, I think that, you know, movement is medicine for me. It's cycling. You spoke to this blue light experience kind of briefly that, that I, that I had after my very first cycling class. This is long before I'd ever taught a class. Again, my first cycling class, I knew that I'd be cycling for the rest of my life. I knew that I'd be teaching it on the world's biggest platform able to impact the lives of hundreds of thousands of millions of people. This was my very first class. It was like, after taking that class, I was walking back to my hotel room and I felt this wave of blue energy move through my body. It moved from my fingers to my toes. Within a matter of five seconds, I had this divine download of information, this vision um, that has been realized. It's come to fruition. I could have very easily after, you know, I had this experience said, girlfriend, you are hallucinating and dehydrated from that class. And, you know, it's my first class. Like, this is what happens. But instead, I, I received the message uh, for what it was. And of course, imposter syndrome sat in. I told myself I didn't look like, sound like, move like, walk like an instructor who would ever hire me, who would be motivated by me, and who would ever want to look at me on a bike. These are all the things I said to myself. Mm -hmm. You know? Uh, um, and so I allowed that lie to steer me for maybe eight months. Um, and then I had a friend call me on the lie that I was telling my, me my, the lie that I was telling myself. Uh, yeah. And then I went and applied for a mom and pop shop or rather auditioned for a mom and pop shop in LA, got the job and you know, my life has been changed as a result of it. I love that you share that. And just the really what's possible, what's possible when we stay open, what's possible when we allow ourselves to receive the answers, what's possible mm -hmm. when we, when we get out of the way a little bit, because we, mm -hmm. a lot of times I think we know, we think we know what's best, but we don't. And, um, you say this in a part of the book, I highlighted it and you say, you know, I want to challenge that thought for a minute and ask, what if that moment isn't just a moment, but a mindset? Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, you just said, uh, you just spoke to like challenging what we know. I think the beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. The beauty of what is uncertain is that anything can be possible when you're in this space of uncertainty. And knowing what you know keeps you knowing only what you know. I was a makeup artist for 15 years. At the time when I had this divine download, this blue light experience, I'd been in the cosmetic world for about 12 years. 
on paper, I was living the American dream. I had my dream job. I had my dream car. I lived in my dream neighborhood in LA. And I hated my job. And it took me some time to admit that to myself. And I say admit because I felt ungrateful because here I was, everything that I'd asked for within my, my career had been answered and I hated it. And so I was in this space of doubt and uncertainty. I think that the easy thing for me to say was I could have said, okay, well, maybe I'll be an, an esthetician. It's within the same world, but it'll be different. It'll be a switch up. <laughs> I say that I was in a space of uncertainty because I think that when you think that you know what's next, you look for opportunities only within the realm of what should be next. You say yes to opportunities that fit the idea of what you think should be next, where you should go next. When you don't know what the hell is supposed to be next, you don't know what to say yes or no to, so you're open to saying yes to everything or anything. I had never taken a cycling class. I took one cycling class and decided that it was for me. I think that I was open to this idea because I didn't know what I was supposed to do next. I think that I was full, you know, to, what I'm saying here is that I was full of doubt. I think that people think that doubt is a bad thing. Doubt does not feel good. I do not welcome the feeling of doubt or look forward to it rather. However, I don't think that doubt's a bad thing. I think that when doubt enters, it's a course correction trying to make way. I think that what we generally do is when doubt comes, we block it. And when we block it, it creates friction and this uncomfortable feeling in our chest and our head. Rather than fighting doubt, what if we looked at it as a messenger? And we leaned in to the message, we answered the call, whether that's doubting a relationship with a friend, doubting a relationship with your partner, doubting a career. What if we made the decision to lean into the message that's trying to come in? For me, life changed when I had the audacity to answer that call. So good. The audacity. And that's, I want to, I want to chat about that because I think a lot of times we feel like we have, we're going to answer the call. It's all going to work out. I feel it in my bones. It's possible. You have a great story in the book that you felt this calling. You knew it in your bones like this. And this was even before, I don't even know if Peloton existed or if it did. I don't think it was on your radar, but you had this vision. I am going to be like on the top of the top, instructing on the biggest stages in the world for this. And then cut to, you know, you get opportunities to start dipping your toe into it, finding more of like your flow and how you like to show up in your unique way as an instructor. And then you get this opportunity to audition for Peloton. Um, kind of share with us a little bit of, of that experience and, and how, and what I loved about this was how sure you were, the answer that you received, how you didn't give up and how when, when it came back around, it was just like this really beautiful flow of divine timing and, and you really being exactly where you needed to be in that moment. So I would love for you to kind of share how that, how that went. 
Yeah, I mean, no, and I'll rewind and say you're absolutely right. Like when I had this vision, I had absolutely no idea what Peloton even was. And still I was so certain about what I'd seen, the message that, that had come. Um, so yeah, I, I was teaching at this mom and pop shop in LA. I get a DM from this guy who says his name is Cody Rigsby. Um, and he worked for Peloton. He said he was an instructor. I had no idea what the hell, well, I, I had an idea at that time. I knew what Peloton was. I had no idea who the hell Cody Rigsby was, but he had, you know, the blue certification thing from Instagram. So I figured gotta be some, somebody important enough to have the certification. And so, um, you know, I go and I audition, I killed my audition. He told me it was one of the best auditions he'd ever seen, uh, that I it would take some time before they called me back. Uh, about a month later, I got an email from him. We regret to inform you. We won't be moving forward with your candidacy. Uh, I think that, you know, if there's one thing that life has shown me. Life has shown me that everything is always going my way. Everything is always happening in my favor. Nothing's happening to me. Everything's happening for me. And it's all always going my way. Even when it's not going my way, ultimately, it all always goes my way. When you look back at all the breadcrumbs of life. Like you turn around and you see all the breadcrumbs and you start to see how all the dots connected. That one thing had to happen this way in order for the next thing to happen this way. And this thing not needed to not work out for me so that ultimately it would work out for me. I wasn't supposed to get the job the first time around. Really wasn't. Like the way, the, the, the timing of when I entered this space not only who I was and myself, but also the company. Um, there was some shift in the alignment of the company restructuring. I started exactly when I needed to start. Um, I don't know that my story would have landed here in this moment uh, if I hadn't started when I started. And so I say that to say, I think so often when things don't go our way, when there's missed opportunities, we, we, we're, we are down about it and we find ourselves in this, this um, often like a dark space. Over the last three years, I've been really, really mindful of writing down all of those missteps, all the missed opportunities when I really want something to go one way and it doesn't. And then when you look back at these notes of when things didn't go your way, you realize that a month later, three months later, a year later, you see why that thing had to go that way. For me, all of that's data. It's this data that I collect so that when in the moment, things don't move how I hoped, I remember that the picture is much bigger and I'll see that once I'm able to step back from it. The truth will reveal itself whenever you're ready to see it. Sometimes it takes time uh, to step back and see the whole framework. Do you think that there were some truths that you either couldn't see or, or that they hadn't been revealed yet that first go around, which is why it wasn't time for you to, to get that job? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the truth that was revealed is I didn't see it in the time. I didn't, I couldn't fathom or couldn't understand why I hadn't got that job the first time around. Of course, you know, you have all these things that you, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said this. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should have worn this. Maybe I shouldn't have worn that. All the things that you say. 
tell yourself. Um, and then ultimately, once I was hired and then I look back, you know, now three years later, it's so clear and so evident to me that, that I, that I wasn't supposed to start then that I was supposed to, to start now. Of course, in the moment, I didn't understand that. I didn't see that then. Um, but I used that learning, uh, now I use that lesson. Now I had something happen yesterday that didn't go my way and I'm still in my feels about it. But ultimately like the message that, I, that I've continued to give myself today is this is how it was supposed to be. It's going to pan out. It's going to work out better. It's going to work out better. It's going to work out better. Data shows me that it always works in my favor. Data shows me that it always works in my favor. I just got to wait. I just got to wait. I just got to wait. And how, how long, what was that span between, you know, Cody telling you the first time around, not yet, and then you getting another opportunity to, to get, to get it. And then you, you get, obviously you get it. Cause we're here right now. It was eight months. Eight months. Eight months. Yeah. Eight well, months. and, and, and what was so interesting, I, what I want to kind of talk about next, because what we also, none of us could foreshadow because you left for New York for Peloton about the same time that myself and John, you know, my husband, John. We also left LA for this new, you know, path in Nashville, Tennessee, and it was summer of 2019. And in about nine months later, you know, our entire, this, the world just completely changed. Mm -hmm. And what I think is so interesting about your divine timing is that Peloton was such a sacred, safe space for myself and for so many other people during the pandemic. It's where we went to feel seen. It's where we went to not only exercise, but where we really went to feel seen, to have a release, to cry, to just feel through all of the waves of emotions that were going on. And something else that then happened, it was pandemic and then George Floyd. And then this, this reckoning of Black Lives Matter that happened. And, you know, you had only been there, I think, about a year. And I just remember, at least from my perspective, Peloton and you and the incredible community that is Peloton really being on the forefront of saying, this is a safe space mm -hmm. and all are welcome here. And, you know, it matters that we show up for those who can't show up for themselves. And it matters that we speak and we have a voice for the vo for the voiceless. And it matters that we say no more to this and yes to this. And we start to pay the path. How was that journey and that experience for you to, to go from getting this life-changing, life transformative shift, not only in your career, but in your, in your life? You are a massive public figure. You are leading you know, more, more people and movements than you could have possibly imagined. And now something has just wrecked this entire country and you have this incredible community that is, that is driving force. How was that experience for you? Yeah. Uh, Joel, sorry. I know we're going to have to delete this out and pause now. I have a four o'clock. We, what, t is that what you're coming to hit me for? Yeah. Um, I have to wrap soon, but I want to answer this question because it's such a great question. Um, so then now let me try to give you a good clean cut to cut back into. Sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if you take yourself back to the space that we were in 2019, we were, as a nation, we were hopeful and hopeless within the same breath. 
completely hopeful and completely hopeless, all within the same breath. I've been with the company for just about eight months. Um, I launched publicly in September. Um, and then the Speak Up Ride, which is the moment you're speaking to, happened, I believe, on June 3rd of 2020. Um, so I was still wildly new, still finding out who I was within this space um, publicly at that. Um, and then this moment happened. I think that authenticity is the intersection of truth and trust when you trust yourself enough to show up as you fully are. That was a moment for me um, personally when I made the choice to stop hiding um, and to speak up and out loud about what was going on. When I led the first Speak Up Ride, 22,000 people joined live in one moment to take that class. Some 400,000 people have taken that class to date. After that class, and, and mind you, I not spoke up about anything Black Lives Matter uh, related prior to that moment, knowing that I was in a space where I was a minority, knowing that I was in a space where people would assume to think that they knew who I was. And so I say that to say that this was a moment where I felt completely naked, um, revealing myself. And still totally okay with that because I knew that everything that I was saying was rooted in love. I had people um, who took that class who, who DM'd me and messaged me, white men who said, I didn't want to take that class. I didn't take that class. My wife made me watch that class. I found the term Black Lives Matter offen uh, incredibly offensive. And now after watching your class, I see it. I get it. Black Lives Matter and I stand with you. Um, so many moments that came out of that moment, not just for me, but I think that for, you know, the community members that watched it, principals who said that they'd taken pit, bits and pieces of that ride and, and added into their curriculum. People who messaged me and said, I, for the first time I spoke up and I said something in my household and we had a very uncomfortable conversation in dinner at our dinner table. I think that when it comes to speaking up, people think the assumption is that you have to reach tens of thousands or millions of people uh, like I did. But I think that the truth is that change starts by speaking to the people that are closest to us, the uncle, the aunt, the brother-in-law. That's where we have the most highest ability to create change, to make an impact. I think that when time is said and done, this time that we're all fortunate enough to be living in together, this moment, I think that when time is said and done, we'll all be asked what we did as the new world was being created did we watch or did we have a hand in its creation? I want to be able to say that I had a hand in its creation. Well, I think with that, 
we will leave this perfectly because that is how we speak in and speak up and speak to what matters most to us. So Tune Day, thank you so much for being here today. Speak, find your voice, trust your gut, and get from where you are to where you want to be is now available wherever books or audiobooks are sold. We will make sure to have a link in the show notes. Tune Day, where can people follow you online to just love on you, to take your classes? You've got to take her <laughs> class if you haven't taken her class. I am like, I'm so millennial. I'm pretty much only like I do the Instagram thing and some of the Facebook thing. You can find me on Instagram at tune to tune day, uh, or my website speak Awesome. Thank you so much. Tune day. So much love to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for so much. And so many things, wonderful things that you have done for so many of us. I appreciate mm-hmm. you. Thank you. Love right back to you, sis. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening, everybody. As always, thank you so much for joining me today and every week here on the Influencer Podcast. If you're wanting to dive deeper into the topics and discussions that we have here, I would encourage you to head over to juliesolomon.net and sign up for my weekly newsletter. It is in our amazing newsletter community that we are able to really support you on a much larger scale. And I love to do a ton of amazing things that I send inside your inbox every single week. So just head over to juliesolomon.net. You'll see a little spot there that you can add your information in and you will get on the list and start receiving all all of that good stuff.